Hi, I'm Doug Ladden. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Deliverite Logistics. We're a technology and logistics and final mile provider to the heavy goods industry. Uh, today I've got Kevin Walker with me. Kevin is the president of Accentrix Home, which is the division of Hooker Home Furnishings, focused on e-commerce, but I will let Kevin describe uh, his role in more detail. Kevin, thanks for being here. Sure, Doug. Thanks for having me. Thanks for asking me on. Uh, as Doug mentioned, I'm the uh, president of Eccentrics Home, um, all things e-commerce to uh, the uh, six divisions for Home Meridian under the Hooker Furnishings umbrella. And uh, we do everything from heavy, large parcel to small parcel FedEx um, all over the country. So, uh, Kevin, uh, I know 2020 was an interesting year for many of us in the uh, furniture, logistics, heavy goods world. You know, it was interesting for anybody on earth, pretty much. Uh, I know from our point of view, dealing with heavy goods deliveries, we went through a period of time where uh, coronavirus forced us to shut down any in-home deliveries. Uh, so we went from being very busy in January, February, to basically shut down for March and April, had to switch over to doing things in, uh, uh, doing things not in home, but actually at the threshold. Um, and then by June, things were back to where they had been at the start of the year and even ahead of that. So it was very hard for us on the logistics side to figure out how to navigate, you know, shutting down and then starting up and accelerating. What was your year like at Hooker and Eccentrics you guys had to deal with a lot of challenges on the manufacturing and retail side. Without a doubt, I think the uh, the phrase is unprecedented that everyone seems to use. I'm kind of tired of hearing that, but it seems to keep rearing its ugly head. Um, yeah, we went, uh, you know, pre-COVID, things were flowing really well for all of us. Um, COVID hit and pretty much the industry started canceling massive cancellations of orders to the uh, overseas factories, which then created some chaos there um, and then within you know four to six weeks you know e-commerce was deemed essential um, which meant warehouses and trucking were deemed essential so that we continue to provide everything that we do and what others do and PPB and PPE and all that kind of stuff but unfortunately those massive cancellations of orders overseas triggered a, uh, a hole in the supply chain um, we were fortunate in the months of uh, May through July or May and June, um, e-commerce exploded and we were, you know, shipping twice what we normally would do in either of those months. The hard part there was, uh, it depleted our inventory significantly. And that hole I just spoke of in supply chain left many of us in this industry, um, at inventory levels below we've ever been at in our careers. So it was, a, it, in one case, it was a struggle to get product. And in another case, it opened up an opportunity to sell a lot of uh, obsolescence and uh, discontinued product because that was what was what was available. And we all thought that we would be able to get this thing turned around in, you know, in a quarter. Um, today, we're still chasing hurdles and uh, obstacles um, from shortage of containers, production capacity issues, COVID in Asia, um, cost of ocean freight, um, so it's been it's been a big challenge 2020 and still into 2021. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think as you're saying, the factories had to shut down, and then once they were able to reopen, it was hard to find containers, and then hard to find ships, 
right? So it was, yeah. even if you could get the, the merchandise produced, it was hard to actually get it over to the end markets where you needed to sell them. Which caused the, an entire backup in those factories. Those factories don't sit with warehouses where they can store temperature control storage for goods that need it. Um, so it, they had to put it where they could put it until they could get bookings. So it, it again, reduced capacity uh, in those factories because they didn't have the room for the production that was already produced to get it out of the way. Um, and then more recently, you've seen another, you've seen, you know, an increase in cases of COVID in Vietnam, Malaysia, and they've had hybrid shutdowns and, you know, over time has been, been eliminated. So now you're back to some capacity issues. So it just, it just keeps rearing its ugly head, but we will, we will survive. We'll get through it. Uh, look, we all hope so. Uh, and I know a lot of people talked about trying to move production out of China and other places in Asia. And people have even talked about bringing some production back to the U.S. How would you assess the, the, the likelihood and the success of people trying to shift out of China? Uh, moving from China to other Asian countries, my analogy is it's trying to, like, trying to take Texas and pour it into Rhode Island. Um, so it was a mass scramble for, you know, factories and capacities to take that on as well as the skill set that the, the China worker had that not, was not prevalent in those other countries. Um, you know, sourcing elsewhere, whether it's domestic or other countries, Mexico, Europe, um, I think people are doing, depending on the product categories they're in and, uh, they're, they're trying to find alternative places to source. Um, it's all a balance of, you know, cost and logistics and, um, skill set. Okay. I, I know on the reshoring conversation, there's been a, a lot of excitement around it, but it's, uh, it's very hard to get that started up in a short period of time. And, uh, I, I think by the time people actually are able to get plants open and get labor forces restarted in the U S they the, the the fear is that coronavirus will already have been you know defeated and so you'll be left with a lot of less economical plants uh here in the u.s so it, it seems like people haven't really jumped at that at that option um, well and again it, it really depends on the category that you're in i mean if you're in case goods and you know wood manufacturing there's a whole bunch of other epa issues and different things about starting a factory uh you know, with finishing processes and things like that, that are, you know, almost cost prohibitive. And, but if you're in an upholstery factory, there's plenty of upholstery factories in the United States today. Um, you know, but there, the fear with that, that situation is if COVID isn't defeated and there's another stay at home order and you have to shut your factory down and you can't produce domestically, that's what happened to the domestic suppliers back in, in February, March and April was they were, they were shut down just like the furniture retailers were shut down. Um, and I think the furniture retailers learned that an e-commerce present is essential today and not to, not to use that word in too many ways, but, um, those big retailers that did not have a real good e-commerce presence and relied solely on their brick and mortar business, you know, they were closed, uh, unable to do business and it really hurt them. So you've seen a, you've seen an, uh, a, a, a speed of evolution into e-commerce at the, uh, at the brick and mortar business. Look, I, I think a lot of people in brick and mortar knew, have known for a long time that they need to get into e-commerce and this may have been the, uh, the catalyst that was necessary to, to move them online. Um, you know, we, we 
recently launched a, an app on Shopify uh, and it, what it does is enables retailers who sell product on Shopify to just make a click and link to the Deliverite app and, and then they can get their logistics managed through Shopify. So it's a, a seamless way of getting heavy goods delivered around the country uh, when you've already taken the done the hard work of putting your product on Shopify. And, and so that's, that's something that we would not have come up with a year ago. That's not something that we would have come up with two years ago. Uh, just as we saw a lot of brick and mortar stores really trying to embrace the online world and figure out how to finally transact online, it seemed like an important, uh, important step to take. Um, a fantastic step to take. I mean, one of the things that they're also learning, um, you know, in a, in a more exponential way is the, the survival of the order to the consumer in good condition, right? So, you know, a couple years back, you know, trying to convince, you know, brick and mortar, um, or not even convince them, but th those who were doing it were chasing the cheapest freight rates, right? Because that was a cost that they had to, uh, put into the cost of the goods and, you know, freight's expensive, but it's nowhere near as expensive as, you know, a delivery being damaged or a delivery being refused and then the reverse logistics cost. So if you can, you know, when we can show that the value of a, you know, white glove service is even though it's a little bit more expensive than just a regular LTL freight shipment, the back end cost savings more than pays for it. So we're very pleased. We have, specialized furniture carriers in our industry that do really good work and good jobs. Um, and then I think the furniture retailers has realized that it's, it's their best investment is to go with a white glove service. Look, look it's, uh, it, it's self-serving, but I, I'd say we agree uh, on our end, but the, uh, it, it's very hard to capture all those back-end costs, you know, the costs associated with a, a problem delivery and reverse logistics, as you say, are very challenging. They're challenging in any industry, particularly challenging for heavy goods. Uh, and, and really, you know, at, at a time like this, where I think the uh, latest news story that I saw said that there's about a trillion dollars of back-ordered goods, you know, it's so hard to get the product that consumers actually want and to you know have it in stock and able to ship it the last thing you want to do is start to figure out how to get it back because you know there was a problem with the delivery or it wasn't exactly what the customer wanted um, you know it, it's hard it's hard enough to get that product to them to begin with um, you know focus on getting it there right the first time focus on getting there getting it there in in the, the proper shape so that you minimize the, the the return the reverse logistics issue because uh, that is that's time spent, money spent, and it's usually an unhappy outcome. I can't agree with you more. I mean, you know, we've we've all been trained as consumers, you know, speed of delivery, you know, free, um, you know, everything ships for free. You know, shipping is free. We all know shipping isn't free, but um, yeah, but it's a mindset that the consumer now expects. You know, quick delivery, clean deliveries. Um, and if they don't get what they expect, you know, if it, they'll either be, create a cancellation or create a bad experience and that experiences turn into, you know, future lost opportunities because they don't want to buy from that particular retailer or, you know, have that product delivered that, that way. So yep. yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's, um, it's not as simple as just put a picture on a product page and hope somebody clicks on it. You know, there's a whole lot more detail that goes into 
creating, you know, raving fans. <laughs> and, and look, I'm, I'm glad it's more difficult than that because there's a there's a reason for uh, for us to exist. But right. um, uh, but yeah, it is quite challenging. And, and and as you think about 2020 going into 2021, um, and you think about best practices or or ideas for survival as, as you look ahead. You know, what's your advice to e-commerce accounts as they as they look at the new reality of 2021? Um, you know, we've seen a, a complete evolution. I've been doing this uh, at Eccentrics Home uh, or at Home Reading for almost 15 years in the e-commerce space. And there's been a complete evolution from in the beginning. It was, um, you know, all SKUs as much as they could get, get it online, sell it for the cheapest price, customer acquisition costs. Um, and now, you know, the strong have survived and there's marketplaces, there's pure play and there's brick and click. So there's three real different, um, channels of e-commerce, um, and they have their different challenges and going into 2021, it's going to be, um, you know, who is your partner? Make sure your, your SKUs are profitable. Uh, make sure you can compete. Um, and it's not just competing on price and driving, you know, the price to the bottom. It's, it's about content. It's about uh, service and it's about delivery um, and, and, you know, making sure the customer understands what they're buying and make sure they get it on time and make sure they get a clean delivery. And if you can do those three things, you know, you're, you're well on your way to success. And those things are very hard to do in a market where ships are sold out. There aren't enough containers and right. uh... <laughs> yes, there is, there are, there are a lot of constraints today and I don't see those constraints, um, you know, releasing anytime soon, um, I would think that maybe we could, you know, forecast the back half of 2021 for some relief. Um, we certainly hope that's the case, and, but hope's not a strategy. So we have to be proactive and, uh, and put things in play. Um, you're seeing a lot of articles now about cost increases, raw material increases, ocean freight increases. So inflation's, you know, inflation's at our doorstep. Um, cause you know, Eventually, the consumer is going to have to you have to pay those costs, um, and the opening price point product is maybe now a different price point altogether for the foreseeable future. Um, when things stabilize, I think you'll see the competitive forces at work, and um, you'll see prices come back down. Uh, one big concern on our side is, you know, we've got record backlog, like you spoke of earlier, um, and when that product arrives, you know. And these higher prices and demand, you know, slows. Now you go from under inventory to over inventory. So we've got to do our best job at, uh, you know, supply chain flow and not porpoise in and out of inventory. And uh, and that that's our challenge. And that's what we have to be, you know, working on daily and, and consistently with our factories and our partnerships and um, and our and our steamship lines. I do like that term, that porpoise term. You know. I don't like it, but <laughs> it's, uh, that, it's that was a like, you know, for me, uh, just bouncing, you know, in and out of, uh, of supply and, you know, overstocked, understocked, uh, out of stock. And in e-commerce that, that, that's really, really a bad position to be in because when you go out of stock, you go down the sort on the, on the browsers, you lose your position. And then when you come back into stock, you don't automatically get back to your original position. You know, you've got to, you've got to get click data and conversions and reviews and, you know, that type of thing and work your way back up there. So the, the, 
the suppliers, the vendors that can stay in stock consistently, especially when they're top sellers, uh, will hold those positions and do very well. And, and you've been doing e-commerce for 15 years at this point. Um, as you think about the websites that have done well over the last 15 years, um, have you been able to tell in advance which ones were going to do well and which ones weren't going to do well? What was there, you know, you don't have to reveal whether you've been very good at predicting this, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, have uh, you noticed any similarities? Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, when, when somebody comes to us, that's a, a startup in the e-commerce business in the furniture space, you know, we have a series of questions we, you know, basically interview with and, uh, you know, we look at our like competitors and whether or not they've chosen to do business with them. Um, we look at where they have come from and what their background is and what their infrastructure is. Um, because, you know, 15 years ago, or maybe even today, you know, some guys were trying to do this out of their basement, you know, um, today you need, you know, uh, uh, computer engineering, you need marketing, you need merchants, you need strategies. Um, because the consumer is a lot more savvy today than before. Um, you know, now they trust it. You know, one of my customers had said, you know, pre COVID, um, they're about 60% of their business was, uh, uh, I'm sorry, about 30% of their business was, uh, repeat customers. And, uh, after COVID their new customer acquisition went up by 20, 25%. And the unique thing about that was that increase in first time buyers, first time customers on their site was a demographic of the baby boomers, which is not your typical online shopper right. uh, pre COVID. And now they've learned to do it. Um, it's become convenient whether children taught them how to do it or they learned on their own. But, um, so there's a whole another demographic that e-commerce has been able to tap into. Um, and I think it's, it, it'll stay. Yeah, we hear stories from some of our e-commerce customers about how, They've had to add uh, phone resources because people are calling in to place orders with them on the website, uh, and these consumers don't have email addresses, and so right. they're trying to figure out how to how to transact in e-commerce. But uh, but they're not typical e-commerce buyers. Um, yeah. So it's it, it, it is funny how you say uh, you, you can't just be working out of your basement anymore starting a website because many of us are working out of our basements these days. <laughs> that is true. So maybe I misspoke there. Unfortunately, it pushed us all into the bunkers of our homes. But uh, no, I, I, I got your point. Um, yeah. uh, but and I think we're all looking forward to the day when uh, when basement work is, is behind us. Yeah. Um, I guess the, uh, the the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, time to market. Uh, when you used to think about launching products and having them ready, uh, how much time would you have to build in? You know, pre-COVID, how much time do you have to build in now? What, what's the, how has that changed? And is there, you know, what do you tell your e-commerce customers who are you know interested in new product? When can you get it to them? Yeah, pre-COVID NPD, new product development uh, process was somewhere between from uh, concept to, you know, available to ship inside our warehouse, um, four to five months, um, including ocean time. Uh, today, it can be eight to 10 months um, because of the backlog and the backlog of the factories, the, the lower capacities, 
China not being a, a, as big of a resource as it was in the past. So fewer factories doing, you know, fewer um, production runs uh, has slowed a lot of that down. Um, you know, the, the industry typically runs on market cycles for new product development. Uh, E-commerce, we're on a continuous product development cycle. Our goal was not to give our customers 300, 400 new SKUs twice a year, like putting a basketball through a garden hose. It's more like, how about 20, 30 a month? And mm -hmm. it's a lot more palatable for them and keeps freshness on their site um, in a more consistent way. So for the e-commerce side of it, you know, we're, we're working 12 months in advance uh, so that we get that pipeline full of new product. I mean, today we're getting new product because we worked on it a year ago faster than we're getting our top sellers <laughs> out of production. And it's only a timing issue is the only reason. Um, right. But once we get capacities back and we get past this, um, this container shortage and all that kind of stuff, you know, we'll be back on that of the old probably, you know, six months, four to six months instead of eight to 10. Okay. And so I guess any, uh, any advice to uh, e-commerce sites or brick and mortar stores that are trying to work with uh, eccentrics or just fight out there in the, uh, the e-commerce world and have some success online? Well, today, you know, the consumers not, has not been as discerning about product as they have pre-COVID, uh, only because it's not all available. So if you're in the need of a desk because you're working in your home, or an office chair or that kind of stuff you're going to if you're buying online or you're at the brick and mortar store you're going to select what is available and that might not necessarily be exactly what you want but i would also say that uh what i think we'll see transpire when this you know we get this relief and our products come back in stock is you know people may dispose of what they have and go back and get what they want um you know there's a there's a propensity to eventually get what you want if you, you know, if you work hard at it. So um, I think we're going to see a continued growth in e-commerce, um, in new sales, re repeat customers um, for, for many of these sites. And uh, I think it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be a continual growth pattern for the foreseeable future. Yeah, there's some question as to how much of the, uh, how, how much of the customer base that's shifted online is going to remain there. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, it seems likely that a lot of people will have shifted online, had good experiences and remain there. Uh, whereas some, yeah, some I don't think, I don't, I don't think brick and mortar will, is ever going to go away. I mean, you know, if once people are comfortable back in, whether it's wearing a mask and social distancing, or it's back to normal, you know, touching and feeling a product and sitting on it and, you know, having, knowing you got service in your local community. Uh, those are all, you know, competitive factors. So I think they could both coexist. Um, but, you know, in the case of say your child's off to college and they're getting their first apartment in college, you know, it might be just more efficient and more, um, or easier and more efficient to just have the product delivered to their apartment and somebody go in and set it up and room a choice and that type of thing versus, you know, cause they, they may be out of state. They may be different places yeah. and not so convenient. So there's a lot of different factors for people's decisions between going into a furniture store or buying online. Um, but I think, I think both can coexist very well. Agreed. And, and look at, I think furniture rental has become a, a whole new growth segment 
of the marketplace. And as you're talking about, you know, kids going to college, uh, that's that seems like a natural fit for the the furniture rental market. Sure, absolutely. Great. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for spending time uh, on this fireside chat. <laughs> and, uh, and best of luck with 2021. And uh, thanks for all the wisdom. Well, thank you, Doug. Thanks for inviting me in to, to chat with you. Um, certainly appreciate what you do for us and, and what Deliverite does for us. I mean, you guys do a fantastic job. You're, you're one of our preferred partners. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Keep up the good work. Th thank you.